To succeed in business, you have to have self-esteem, but more importantly, you need self-compassion. How you treat yourself after making mistakes affects your resilience and ultimately your success. My name is Stephen Norton and you are very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast episode 10. Thank you for joining us as we explore the good, the bad and the ugly behaviour of bosses. This podcast seeks to entertain, educate and hopefully change some behaviour to make working life better for all. My guest this month is John Murray. John's title is photographer and that is what I intended interviewing him about. But as a title, photographer just doesn't cut it. He's so much more. John's career spans a number of industries from finance to being a medic in the US to Dublin Fire Brigade. But he found his true purpose behind the camera, but not in the usual way. John is a positive self-image educator and he teaches people to embrace their face. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Hello, John. You're very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast here live from the Betsy in Swords, uh, a very salubrious location, I must admit. I like that word salubrious and thanks for having me. Great, great to be here. Um, we encountered each other uh, first through LinkedIn. I, I used to see some of your videos and some of your content in relation to uh, what you do for people. And you're a photographer by trade, but what it says on your LinkedIn profile, and I really like this, is to teach people to unconditionally love themselves and their faces. That's a, that's a mission and a half. Yeah, it is. It's, um, I actually only saw something over the weekend that um, at a training thing with Junior Chamber, and it was, it was not so much to look at how you do things or what it is you do it's the why so if you look at the why and then go back to the the how you do it and the what you do yeah it's it's more important and it, it just makes things a little bit more of a holistic that's that idea of Sim- Simon Zinnick yeah the that's exactly circle yeah, or, yeah the, the golden Beatrice circle McCarthy, the Simon, yeah, yeah. Uh, Zinnick uh, golden circle and it was something that I was aware of but I never really thought of but it's obviously the way I've been doing business for quite some time. Yeah. Um, so it was nice to see that the chain of thought was somewhere else, even though I hadn't put something as clever as a golden circle together to say, this is how I do it and this is why I do it. But um, yeah, I think the world is a very weird place at the moment and a lot of people are suffering with what's called uh, like negative residual self-image or they just don't like who they are or how they look. Um, so my whole thing is to kind of take the fear away and show them real evidence of the fact that they're prettier than they think they are or they're supposed to be different than everybody else in the world and it's okay to be different um it's more than okay it's it's natural to be different so you've managed to by accident as you say yourself you've managed to carve out this career as uh, a guy who people hire as a photographer but they kind of get a coach yeah sometimes they bring me in for coaching um, right. and the photography is just part of that like my photography career started off probably about 15 years ago not as a career as a hobby because an ex-girlfriend bought me a camera um, she'd bought me tickets to a show and then the guy cancelled it was Larry the Cable Guy and when he cancelled the show she felt really guilty because she got her money back and when she got her money back she bought me a camera because I was always playing with her camera but the camera kind of sat in a drawer I did eventually play with it one of my neighbours is a photographer he photographs uh, events and he's really really cool and 
he kind of showed me how to take photographs but I was terrified to photograph people because every right. time I did people would tell me they looked fat old ugly they hated their nose that's an awful photograph of me and I felt that was my responsibility I felt that I'd caused that pain but mm. it wasn't me it was their own self image issues or the fact that they didn't like themselves in photographs um, and they blamed that on them feeling uncomfortable I'd blame myself on them feeling uncomfortable and it was just a big negative yeah. kind of mess um, and over time I learned to overcome that and when I event- when I did train with Peter Hurley f- in 2014 I had a conversation with him about people seeing themselves in images and not liking themselves and I said to him did you ever flip the photographs horizontally and just give it back to them because a few times people would say to me oh I don't look like it doesn't look like me and I knew what they were expecting themselves to look like is the person in the mirror so just out of annoyance for it happening all the time I just get the photograph flip it horizontally in Photoshop and just give it back to them and they'd be like oh yeah that's great (laughs) it looks like me not to anybody else you know but it looks like them to them and it was just out of annoyance and when I said it to Peter he's never do that like educate people like teach them just tell them why teach them why and make them see themselves in where they're not faking themselves and then they'll never ever complain about the images unless they don't look the jackets they're wearing but uh, (laughs) that's a whole other conversation don't don't, don't talk about my jackets (laughs) when you think about it it's it's an amazing it's it's a very new art form really I mean we're we're talking what 150 years max 130 years about um, you know, since the first person was photographed, and before that, it was paintings. Yeah, you know, a lot of investment in trying to capture an image, and then only rich people. So it was a very classist thing yeah. as well. So it's actually very new in the, in the history of, of of humankind that you actually can see an image of yourself that's not a reflection. Yeah, exactly. Like the only way we're supposed to see images of ourselves is in a ripple puddle outside a cave. That's where human psychoevolution still is, because mirrors are technology yeah okay yeah like I spoke at the networking summit and I went off on this crazy one about squishy things because we are all squishy things every one of us and for millions of years even beyond the seven million years that we're on this earth on two legs we were squishy things communicating with other squishy things face to face and that's how we understood the world was face to face and again we'd only see ourselves in a rippled puddle when we got getting water or in a lake you know and that's was a skewed version of us but it was natural enough because it's natural it's water you're only seeing the kind of shaded version of yourself but we never had any association with our own self image because we didn't need to know what we looked like and you know for whatever seven million years on two legs we never saw ourselves but we communicated face to face with these other squishy things. And then when cameras were invented, it was a way of recording what squishy things looked like back in the day or whenever, whatever important thing was going on. Um, or these kind of gentrified people who were loaded and they were able to have their photograph taken or have cameras or have yeah. somebody come and take photographs of them. Um, and that was a massive psychological shift because we're not used to that. And now we literally have cameras in our pockets you know you can have two or three cameras on you at any stage at any day Mm -hmm. um and you know we're still squishy things so photographs are just a way for us to understand or to communicate even though we might be doing it through the internet yeah where you know squishy things don't communicate face to face with squishy things anymore yeah Um, and that's why 
the likes of headshots are 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 in the world now because we need to have some sort of a visual reference as to who we're talking to otherwise it's just black and white text that's emotionless and you know emotion is one of the biggest things in the world because everything we do is based on a hormone release every movement you make Mm -hmm. and most of the decisions we make day to day are made on hormone release that's what um you have kind of corporate psychologists working with and behavioral analysts working with every brand out there working in advertising and marketing it's coming to Christmas, you know, the John Lewis ad is the first thing that comes to everybody's mind now. It's all about the feeling and it's what makes you buy. Mm. Um, you don't buy, a lot of the decisions that we make are, are based on hormone release and, and based on emotions. So you're not going to buy something if it doesn't make you feel good yeah, or bad. And then to bring that back to pictures and, and self-image. So I kind of get the feeling that self-image is, is a very luxury uh it's a very luxury feeling to have. I have I have negative self-image or I have positive self-image. You know, if I have other pressing survival concerns and I'm a poor person back in uh, the the you know the eighth century, I, I I've got a feeling I wouldn't care about self-image. But we yeah. probably did. You know, we probably had status. What, what is self-image? And this is all your opinion, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah. people um, can Google this for themselves. <laughs> yeah, but, you can. Uh, Hold on and get my phone out and Google it. But um, no, self-image is how we see ourselves or how we relate to ourselves. So that's twofold as well. It's how we see our... It's, it's a thing called the gap of self-acceptance. So it's how we see ourselves as opposed to what we think the rest of the world sees. And the gap between who we think we are as opposed to who we believe the rest of the world expects us to be. And so self-image is how we identify with ourselves. It's like brand it's one of those words that's being kicked around at the moment because it's just cool. Yeah. It's like coaching as well. You know, people are coaching, but they're not coaches. Yeah. Um, but the whole thing of brand is that it's how people remember you after you've left the room. It's what people say about you when they're asked to recall that information. But it's also how we see ourselves. So it's the information that we pass off when we're asked about ourselves. So if we were to be asked about our if if somebody was to talk about us the way we talk about ourselves mm. you know you'd be majorly majorly annoyed i was going to yeah. say pissed off but this is a proper interview so i don't want to say pissed you off you can say it it's fine <laughs> <laughs> i just wanted to get it in twice that's the boldness <laughs> in me um but yeah so the the whole thing is that we kind of crap all over ourselves and say yeah. oh look i'm i'm just this or i'm just that or my linkedin could say i'm a photographer could, i'm not yeah. a photographer i use a camera as part of my day-to-day business because it enables me to provide solid evidence towards everybody who walks into the studio, everybody I go out and work with, that this is how you actually look. It's not this version of you that you see or that you believe you look like. So self-image is and is the same as that self-brand or positive uh, uh, the, the whole concept of brand, that it's what we remember after the fact, especially when it relates to ourselves. Mm. So when you look at yourself, it's how you feel, how you feel you experience yourself in the world and where you value yourself or you hold yourself and kind of social, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? It's like how social you see. Social proof. The, even your, your, your sense of social position or your sense of social oh, yeah. entitlement. Status, yeah. yeah, your status. Okay. How you see yourself and where you see yourself is all to do with self-image. It's, it's a... a very fluid thing because there's seven and a half billion people in the world and we all have a different view of ourselves mm. we all have a different view of where we are standing in the world and 
who's better than us and who's worse than us you know this superiority complex inferiority complex thing and nobody's looking at what i call interiority it's the only person that you should be competing with is yourself like you shouldn't be yeah. looking to see if somebody's better than you or somebody's worse than you because you need other people for that yeah. the only person you need to be aware of in the world and the only person whose opinion of you that matters is yourself if you have a high opinion of yourself you're interested in yourself you're happy enough in who you are everybody else is going to feel the same way and that yeah. is going to feed into your positive self-image it's going to make your esteem better it's going to make everything else how you experience the world better because mm. you're not trying to i don't know compare yourself to anybody else so that what's coming to mind now is my god we got deep very quick yeah yeah <laughs> and uh that, that wasn't Keep listening gonna, people it's gonna get easier <laughs> that wasn't gonna be my first question but there we, we got there straight away i want to bring you back well how does a guy who's a photographer get to this depth of of, of uh understanding about the subjects that he photographs and i'm not saying that all photographers don't do that but when we think of a headshot photographer when we think of somebody who's taking people's portraits we think well this is about the quality of the picture but you've gone to a much more you know psychological level in terms of what you're doing give me the the the, the lowdown on how the hell did you get to this point um where did it all begin john it, it all began in Hollow street hospital in 1982 i think oh we're going, going that far back <laughs> we're going that far back i remember day one but no i think there's there's a lot I've had a kind of huge journey of self-discovery and balances between positive self, my, my own positive self-esteem and my negative self-esteem and just I've had a proper journey over the last 21 plus tax years. Um, I was bullied a lot in school. So I fell off my bike when I was about eight years of age um, and my mom held my teeth back in with my front teeth and they were my adult teeth as well with a sponge. Um, every Thursday I had to go to the dental hospital I ended up with a root canal one of my teeth was was uh, very discoloured and I always had this weird brace that looked like wet bread across the front of my teeth because I was like a science project in the dental hospital because your teeth are not supposed to mend themselves they don't have the perfusion the, the blood flow to heal to knit like a normal bone but mine did right so it was like this freaky science pro project for dental students and mini miracle in the hospital yeah not so good in the playground no exactly yeah i was i was great to dentists and they loved me they thought it was great but you go into the playground with what looks like wet bread across a brown tooth um and that really affected my sense of self-esteem i was bullied a bit i did karate but it didn't stop me being bullied um went into secondary school and it just got worse um mm. but I more retracted away from everybody and then I didn't feel like I fit in. I was from Pier Street um, in the city. I was in Marion College in Balls Bridge. There was lads in my class from Docky and Colony, and, you know, I didn't feel like I fit in with them but all of the guys from Pier Street and Ring's End that I'd known from home played football and they played hurling and Gaelic and I played basketball so I didn't really fit in with that crowd either. I just didn't, no, I did. I just didn't think I did. Yeah. Um, so I felt quite isolated because I was somewhere in the middle floating and, you know, I kind of retracted myself and pulled myself away. Um, and not only that, when I was younger as well, I don't really make it any secret, it's that I was sexually abused by a friend of my uncle's. Um, it wasn't just me, there was a few people that were affected by that. But again, that had all sorts of negative impacts on my mm. life. 
Um, and for years I was searching for something. I always wanted to people please. I always wanted to make things a little bit easier for myself, but I wanted to make things easier for everybody else because if I did, I felt like that impacted on me. It made them like me. Um, very much like Robin Williams. I'm not comparing myself to Robin Williams, but you know, he spent a majority of his life trying to make sure that people liked him because he was funny. Mm. Um, and when he wasn't being funny, he felt like people didn't like him, or because yeah. he wasn't, he wasn't, he, he felt like he had to be on a lot of the time. And I think I felt like that. Um, and everything I did through my kind of early 20s and stuff like that I really wanted to impress somebody whether my parents or anybody else I just wanted to impress them um, and then it was a long time before I realised I didn't have to do that because you know like I said earlier there's seven and a half billion people in the world we all have our mm. problems we're all different so other people's experience of me didn't really matter to them but it did to me and I was yeah. the only person I was the only brain in the whole world who cared what other people thought about me um and then when i got into photography again people being uncomfortable with how they looked and that made me feel terrible again and then learning to to flip that was was hugely hugely important and understanding that you uh you kind of what you seen in people not liking how they looked and liking who they were, you kind of mirrored that back on you and kind of that made you, you know, brought brought things back to you and kind of like, why would why yeah, people why like themselves? Like look at their, you know, yeah, look, I'm after doing this. I'm after going and taking your photograph. I know it's a good photograph because I like it. Don't usually look and look any artist out there that don't like their own stuff. There's always something in it that you don't like. Um, but it was this whole thing of it kind of brought back those feelings of I'm not good enough. Yeah, yeah. And it was making me feel I wasn't good enough, but it was making them feel they weren't good enough as well when they had their photographs taken. So mm. I wanted to find out a way to fix that. I was shooting magazine covers. I was shooting all sorts of amazing things. I was getting to meet some of the top photographers in the world, people like Clive Booth, who's an absolute genius. Like he photographed all the Downton Abbey cast and the photographs are beautiful they're incredible mm. um, he's a canon explorer of light he's one of these people that no matter what he touches turns to gold and it just even though I was out there even though I was already doing really great things taking amazing photographs working with Debenhams and working with Giacomo and all these brands I still didn't feel I was good enough um, until I met Peter Hurley and when I met Peter I realised that hold on there's something significantly wrong here and it's not with me um, it kind of I was sitting talking to the top headshot photographer in the whole world mm. having a very serious conversation with him and he showed me a picture on his phone of this girl her name is Umpele Kelegwobe and he said what do you think of her I said she's beautiful like this was just after this whole conversation about flipping yeah. things horizontally and he said um would you be happy to photograph her? I said, yeah, she's incredible, beautiful girl. He said, she was in his studio and she was having her photographs taken and her husband was on the couch. And the first set of photographs the, at the start of the coaching process where Peter showed her the screen for the first time, she said, she shouted at her husband across the room, honey, I hate my face. Mm. And the husband kind of laughed and went back to reading his newspaper. He'd kind of seen it all, heard it all before. Um, but Peter said, she was Miss Universe when that photograph was taken. 
So yeah, Miss Universe face. has issues with how she looks. You know, what chance do the rest of us have? And I thought, you know what? That happens to me so often. It happens with clients. It happens with me. Like, I would look at photographs of myself and go, oh, Jesus, I don't like that. You know, it's a bit weird. There's something wrong there. Mm. And I knew what it was. I always knew what it was. But delving into the psychology behind it and I suppose looking at the overall picture of the anatomy, the physiology, how the human interact, like how humans interact with themselves and interact with mm. photographs and interact with other people. When you kind of look at it deeper, I went, actually, hold on. The problem is not the photograph. The problem is not the fact that we all have one little thing on our face that we don't like that we go to in photographs. It's not any of that stuff. The problem is the fact that the person in the photograph is uncomfortable. That makes me feel uncomfortable because my mirror receptors are making me feel uncomfortable. And when I look mm. back historically over my life, like if I look back at me, I know why I was feeling uncomfortable now in all of these situations, even though I had all that knowledge there anyway. I just yeah. never applied it. Um, and we don't apply it as humans. It's just, we don't want to think about it. If we think about it, it's going to possibly throw up things that are going to make us feel even more uncomfortable. So why should I think about something or why should I delve into something that's possibly a, ne a negative headspace where I can just brush it under the carpet and continue on pretending I'm happy? Um, mm. Because for a lot of my life, I wasn't happy. Um, yeah. I was very unhappy. You know, I was... And did you have to, could, you know, was it at that point of... of did photography unlock that for you that you were able to kind of go go into that in more detail for yourself you know to go into the interior as you say that that uh, un, uncharted place in yourself to figure out what was it photography was the catalyst for you or had it come up before and because you have had a, a varied career before this as yeah, well yeah yeah um no there was a lot of different things that would store up these thoughts like i like to say i'm a thinker like i'm i'm just I have one of those brains that never stops. Like I can switch it off and I sit there mm. and I can be, I can meditate, I can be in my own little space. But every now and again in the background, something just clicks and I, oh, that's what that means. Or yeah. kind of word association or something. And, you know, I went off in 2006 to Indiana to train as a, as a, a paramedic. And even over there, there were little bits and pieces that, stuff come into my head and went, actually hold on you know they're having this problem or that person's having this problem and I had something similar um, I remember one guy in a hospital in, the, in Indiana he had he said he'd overdosed he drank a lot of whiskey and he said he took a load of pills um, and I remember having a conversation with him and asking him why mm. he said why did you do it he said because I just don't like myself I said okay well here's my story yeah. You know, this is what happened to me. Like, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, when you look at your mother, you, like, she was in the, the A&E as well, the, the emergency department, and I had a conversation with her. I didn't need to have the conversation with her, but it was just something in me wanted to ask him those questions, and I wanted him to see the value in himself because I'd started to see value in myself, mm. despite the fact that I had a shitty run of luck, you know, and... yeah. I just said, look, you know, you don't have to feel that way. You know, if you look at all of the things in your life that you have or that the people that hold value on you, even though you mightn't see the value in yourself, if you look at yourself from their point of view or you start to look at the amount of value that they have in you, 
you start to see the superheroes walking around yeah. you know in your house in your underwear you know that you don't realize is, 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 is really you um, and he seemed to get something from it but I, I delved a little bit deeper and I started to think a lot more myself afterwards because you know I've been very low at times in my life and mm. I didn't need to be that way um, it was just me with an inferiority complex mm. against myself you know the version of myself that I thought I needed to be so I was saying I need to be better I need to be this I need to be that because I was comparing myself to everything else that was going on in the world I was looking at Diet Coke ads and seeing happiness you know that's what we're shown yeah. is that everything out there is happiness and, and it's great and it's flowery and that's where you need to be if you want to be successful and if you want to be anything if you want to be a human yeah. you have to be this way and I didn't realize that I was happy I was perfectly mm. happy there's a big difference between elation and depression and happiness mm. elation is when we see people laugh we see elation on tv ads we see elation on linkedin and we see elation especially on instagram but when you look at our own lives the gray space that we're in now is contentment and happiness because that's it's just who you are yeah like you have a great life you don't have to be walking around with a big cheesy grin on your face roaring laughing ha 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 look how great my life is mm. um, and you don't have to be chronically depressed mm. but if you don't realise the space you're in now is happiness there's only one way that can go mm. and it does slide towards depression and it does slide towards kind of negative self image and self acceptance I think if people don't confront some of the you know if they carry with them the, the legacy of events, you know what I mean? As you kind of described there, you had a, a, a shitty run of luck, you know? Yeah, yeah. And if you let that carry through in your life, you know what I mean? That can be the way it, it seems. But if people, you know, it's it's too often talked about, but live in the moment, you know what I mean? How how are you right now? Yeah. Is the question you need to ask yourself. Not how do you feel about that thing that happened a week ago or a month yeah. ago or a year ago? But how are you right now? Because that thing is gone. You know, I, I think there's not enough of that going on where it's like, well, well, what is the situation right now? Yeah. The very basis of evolution is that we solve problems. Mm. And every problem is something else that we can learn. You know, even in debt, people teach us lessons because the first time that somebody dies in your family, you learn about debt. You learn about grief. You learn what you need to do the process to bury that person or to say goodbye to that person it's everything is a lesson mm. and if we don't take lessons from it or we don't look back and reflect on the, the lessons that we've gotten from it and see that as a positive you know I don't know that my kids are not going to experience the same things I've gone some through some adversity of some yeah, sort yeah some adversity yeah. of some sort they're going to face grief in their life but because I faced it I have the ability to coach them through that or to help them through that, mm. to be there for them and say the right things or say the wrong things. You yeah. know, I know what needs to be done in those situations because I've been through it. Mm. And we don't reflect on that as humans, I think. It's one of those things that we don't look on because it's a negative headspace. It's something that you, mm. it, it's something we don't want to chase. Um as a thought process there's a strange thing going on at the moment and it's something I've thought about a lot lately there's there's two ways of looking at it there's people who absolutely don't go near the negative headspace and everything's fine and that's not healthy yeah. and then there's people who wallow oh, yeah. in the victimhood of the negative headspace and, and you know I'll be straight up I think it's celebrated nowadays you know you have people oh, yeah. going on the talking circuit talking about their depression about their sexual abuse about their whatever and it's kind of like you're more than just that. 
you oh, know, yeah, and totally. if you're creating that as your identity, that's not healthy either. Now, that's just yeah. my take on it. But the, there's a whole thing when we, um, after I trained with Peter, we started to work with uh, I'm guessing so, Peter's a good boss, by the way. Yeah, Peter's an amazing boss, even though every Tuesday he tells me all sorts of negative things about my pictures. Your shadow transitions are terrible this week. Um, <laughs> but in his American accent. If you want to with, insult a photographer, there's one for you. Yeah, yeah. Your shadow <laughs> transitions are horrendous. Um, yes, Peter did some work with Microsoft and he ended up photographing this corporate psychologist, Anna Rowley, and the two of them put a, a business together, Psyphotology, um, the merge of photography and psychology. And Anna had said that she felt really uncomfortable before she was going to have her photographs taken and even though she tried to use the coping mechanisms she teaches her clients mm. she still wanted to come down with some sort of a tropical skin disease so she wouldn't have to have her photograph taken but when they did put this quotient together the psychotology quotient it says that there's four types of people there's people who own it they're like Jill Scott Barack Obama they're just present in themselves they're happy enough, confident enough, comfortable enough in who they are that they don't really care what the photographs look like. It's me. It's fine. I'm not going to mm. hold on to the negatives There's an too much. ease at which they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just in full flow of themselves. Um, and that's in front of the camera and in real life. Mm. When you go to the next level down, they're posers. It's people with kind of low self-esteem who are trying to draw attention to themselves. They're gossips. They're people who hold on to the negative and talk all day long about how crap their life is and look at me now being successful you're not being mm. successful what you're doing is you're talking about something that is happening in the world that's fine and if that's what gets you through your day and it pays your bills well that's fine it mm. is fine and maybe you're helping people along the way as well by saying yeah. you're not alone in this you know this has happened to me too but sometimes that can go a little bit too far mm. and they almost become institutionalized with this yeah, it becomes who their story. That the, the this is yeah. their reason to exist. Kind yeah, of, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had this conversation this morning on the phone. I'm emceeing something at the end of the week, and one of the, the guy I was talking to was saying that the school he was in is predominantly rugby players. They're all they were all rugby players, and lads got to sixth year as a rugby player with nothing else in their head, only playing rugby, and then left school and went. <gasps> what happens? Like. Mm what's after happening massive culture shock you're going to go to college or you're going to go off and get a job or and all of a sudden playing rugby three nights a week or four nights a week or playing at a lunchtime and every waking mm. moment is gone um, and he said look it just left a lot of people in this weird kind of limbo mm. that they didn't know where they were going to be or who they were going to be and they had to almost reinvent themselves which again leads to this negative headspace where mm. they're posing they're trying to put up this the peacock and they're trying to be that positive person but they're not really there they're just faking it yeah um and i suppose a lot of people are like that that you kind of get yourself into that negative space or you get yourself into that space of oh, i don't want to talk about anything else i don't want to do anything else because if i do people might see that i'll fail mm. um and that's not healthy it's good to find yourself in that space and go hold on if this is me I need to reflect because I was like that I was like that for a lot of my life um, mm. especially trying to people please drawing mm. attention to myself just trying to be the centre of attention because if I was it meant that people were paying attention to me that people liked me and I wasn't going to find myself isolated like I was in secondary school yeah um, 
even though I had amazing friends outside of secondary school, I had friends in secondary school. I just felt isolated within myself. Mm. Um, so we don't have to be there if you can take a step back and go, hold on. There's something that sounds familiar about this. Mm. There's something in this that is familiar. I need to look at it again. And after talking to Anna and talking to Peter about this whole psychotology quotient, I realized that I was somewhere between that and a person who diminishes or a diminisher. Um, so in certain spaces, I was kind of floating back and forth between those two things. And I said, you know what? That's not good enough. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I don't think I'm ever going to be Barack Obama and I'm definitely not going to be Jill Scott because, you know, <laughs> just... Well, I'm the wrong you, sex. They, they, but, uh, they were at that level of of the at ease, and then we had the the posers. What what were the other levels? Diminishers is the next Diminishers, one. It's people yeah. who back away. Sounds like something from Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> or it, it, it's going to end up in a film some stage. But uh, yeah, diminishers are people who back away from the camera. They back away from themselves. They back away from responsibilities because they don't want to be seen to fail. And then the last ones are avoiders, people who just avoid taking on anything because they really don't want to be seen to fail. Avoiders, diminishers, posers, and... Uh, people who own it. Own it. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, nice um, way of looking at it. I think I'm probably a diminisher for a lot of my life anyway. Yeah, about 60% of people are diminishers. Yeah. And in certain circles, I was that poser as well. I was going to go into that poser space where I was trying to make people happy. I was trying to make yeah. people pay attention to me doing this one thing that I was great at, um, which was you know fashion photography or art mm. nude workshops and all the different things that I would do because I knew I could do them well and it would make people like me like my work and it would keep me on a happy headspace but I wasn't really getting anything from it um, God, yeah it's a great it's a great way to look at it I, I definitely say when I'm not a diminisher I'm a poser I'll be honest enough because yeah, yeah. and it's probably to hide the fact that I'm a diminisher <laughs> yeah yeah it's, great. It's, uh, there, there's obviously grey spaces in between um, yeah, yeah. and there's certain things like I worked a lot with the spectrum you can bob up and down depending on where you are maybe yeah, as well like I, I worked a lot with model agencies and I worked with makeup academies and all that sort of stuff for years and that's a very plastic yeah. industry um, I'm not going to kind of dance around it it is a very plastic yeah, industry yeah. and even as a bad boss you know that industry itself is a bad boss Yeah, because it's all air kisses and false promises and I found some of my clients they didn't want to help themselves never mind it helped yeah. me out and I found that as a very, very strange space and it didn't suit me. It didn't suit me. It didn't suit my personality type. It didn't suit anything about me, but I found myself in it and I found myself trying to please them even though they didn't really care what I thought. They didn't really care yeah. about anything like that. Possibly one of the worst places you could have ended up given the fact that you were into that people pleasing and you were never going to please anybody in that industry. Yeah, yeah. and I was never going to get that... Um, I was never going to grow bonds like yeah they're great friends when they're there it's like those people that everybody knows these hangers on like somebody has money or somebody's cool and somebody's into something that you're into and you just kind of follow them around and yeah. then all of a sudden that fails and you're left standing there going hold on what's what's wrong here and it ended up in 2017 that i turned around and told a lot of those clients that i wasn't working with them anymore mm. um, because it was just a toxic environment like I, a lot of them were promising they'd send in people to the studio 20 a month and I just found you know this is not working out for me it's not mm. for me because if I continue on this path I'm just making myself uncomfortable and angry and, and chasing people for work that they promised me they'd send in and I just said you know what not happening 
very same month I was in LinkedIn, I was talking to a group of 60 people who were all there to listen and listen to me talking about positive self-image and this am I ugly concept. Um, and I spoke to them and there was tears in the audience and I photographed like 30 people after that that day and I got such a positive response to what I was doing that I continued on with it. Like I was already working with Bank of Ireland Private Banking and a few other yeah. corporates and the same kind of, I was getting these positive responses from people. Not that I needed it or I wanted it, but I was giving it to them. I was giving them a positive response to their own self, which I didn't need. Yeah. Um, and for the first time, I kind of felt validated without actually having to be validated. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting one in that you know first of all in the in the toxic environment you always find out what your true values are when it kind of starts to get in yeah. and you're like that and you and you push you kind of went away from that and you went into a place where actually you take yourself out of the equation you're more of a guide you know yeah. in the process as a photographer where you're taking somebody's picture there's potentially a lot of emotion in that I'd say for a lot of people there's emotion in any picture actually you know yeah, when yeah. they see it they kind of go oh god you know but they're not delving into why they feel that way about them and, and you bring them through a process then. Yeah. And educate, as you say. Yeah, that's it. It's all about education and it's evidence-based. So yeah. there's no filters. There's no retoucher sitting behind the screen. I'm not taking the yeah. photograph and I don't have somebody with magic fingers behind with a little tiny touch-up pen, you know, retouching the photograph before it comes up on the screen. I take it and it comes up on the screen there and then. So there's no question that that's actually what you look like. Yeah, um, and we talk a lot about the hormone system, the endocrine system, and we talk about the brain and how that understands information. It understands patterns and it understands shapes. Um, I probably say it twenty times a day. If you walk up Grafton Street on a Saturday, you pass twenty five thousand people. You won't pay attention to any of them. Yeah, you walk up Grafton Street, and the first if you see on a, at one o'clock in the afternoon a drunk person or a drug addict, they're the only person you're going to see on Grafton Street because their shape is different, their movements are different. So your brain, even though it scans everybody else you walk past, sees this shape as different. It's unique. Yeah. I need to pay attention to this. So your amygdala, the part of your brain that's saying, oh, hold on here. This is not right. You want to be, protect yourself away from this. Yeah. Um, it's saying that shape is something that we need to be aware of. Um, and then when we see photographs of ourselves, it's the exact same thing. This, we have cells in our brain called mirror receptors. And they make us copy what we see in other people because we need to be socially appropriate. It's empathy. Mm. You walk into a room full of sad people. You know, you bring your level down. Yeah. You don't walk in full of energy. Hey, you know, everybody. Days, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Nick. Um, but you don't walk into a room full of energetic, happy people and find yourself depressed. You walk into that room and you bring your energy level up with them. Yeah. Face to face, we do it the exact same way. But technology gave us photographs technology gave us cameras and the squishy things are still looking at that image of a person and associating that shape or that series of shapes with a person yeah. a happy person a sad person an uncomfortable person or whatever we see in that yeah and our mirror receptors still make us copy what we see yeah. even though it's a flat two-dimensional image because you look at it and say that person is uncomfortable i need to feel uncomfortable with them to be yeah. empathetic to be empathetic but it's you yeah. So yeah. when you see a photograph that you are uncomfortable having taken, your brain is saying mm. that person is uncomfortable, feel uncomfortable. So you feel uncomfortable. Mm. You see a candid photograph of yourself at a party or a wedding or whatever, and you didn't know the, ca the photograph was being taken, but you're in full flow of yourself. You mm. look at that photograph and go, actually, I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. 
but your brain is not saying look for that one thing on your face that explains why you don't like yourself it's not yeah. there that weird eye that weird nose that weird mouth thing is not there the double chins they're not there because you're in full flow of yourself because you feel comfortable looking at that photograph and happy looking at that photograph because the person in the photograph is happy and because yeah. the person in the photograph is comfortable so you just mirror what you see yeah yeah and that's what I do is I take that negative thing out of the way or take those negative hormones out of the way and I bring them through the process of saying look okay well this is what you look like when you're happy and confident mm. and comfortable in full flow of yourself so let's explore that and let's show you that on a screen where your brain doesn't have to look for that one thing on your face you don't like mm. or it's not looking for the double chins I'm going to show you the actual shape of you the actual way you look and we're going to do it unquestionably um, without filters or any of the other stuff that goes with yeah. it. Yeah. So they don't really have a choice but to stand there and look at the evidence. Mm. Brilliant. Um, Brilliant way of going about the world. And, you know, this is the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast. And I think we've touched on the good bosses, Peter being one of them. You know, he obviously kind of grew your mind. What what made you what made him such a good boss to work with or such a good person to kind of grow your own um your own career in that way his interest in people and his empathy towards people he's quite abrupt and harsh and he runs at a million miles an hour he's an olympic sailor he's the top headshot photographer in the world he's that disgusting friend that we all have that's just great at everything um <laughs> but he's giving of his time he'll sit down and have a conversation with you even though he's this superstar you know um he'll sit and have a full conversation with you he'll listen to you he'll have dinner with you he'll just he's just interested in making other people grow because he was given the opportunity yeah. um he's been given more than his fair share of opportunities and he doesn't mind telling you that and i think that's important because leadership is there's a difference between a boss and a leader oh yeah massive <laughs> difference and Peter's definitely a leader he runs Headshot Crew which is probably at this stage about 50,000 headshot photographers around the world some have wow. trained with Peter some are signed up to the website and they follow the podcasts they follow the um, the videos they follow the kind of forums and they follow the spree casts or these crowd casts where Peter will come on and talk to different photographers and he talks to people like me or he talks to people like uh, Maurice Jagger in um, in Holland or we have Pedro George we have a lot of uh, associate photographers who are people who had their portfolios approved by Peter um, so we become mentors to the people coming up through the ranks who have only joined the website who want to learn more about portrait photography yeah. or want to learn more about how to coach their clients and stuff and everybody has a different approach um, some guys are just really good crack some guys are more interested in the physicality of the science behind the lights and, and how light works and how the camera works and the technology yeah, yeah. and then there's some like me who are interested in the psychology behind it or how that element works and how to bring that forward in, into your clients because sometimes you can make the client feel really comfortable because they like the photographs because it's interesting it's artistic the lights are great or whatever it is just piques their interest yes yeah. but my interest is more again holistic it's more into the, the mind of the person and making them come out of themselves by stimulating certain hormone releases yeah um, and for new photographers that's important 
Mm. So Peter's led the charge and he kind of leads it then. He, he leaves people like me or the other guys to help inspire as well. It, do, it doesn't just start with Peter. So the leadership kind of filters down to even the new members who are who might be, you know, five weeks with a camera in their hand and just decided mm. that they saw this headshot crew thing and needed to sign up to it yeah, because they yeah. want to take photographs of people. So even though they've probably never taken photographs of people or they're terrified to, we're giving them the opportunity to come out of themselves, to not fear taking photographs of people uh, yeah. because it can be done. We're living <laughs> we, proof that it can be done. I mean, us, us non-photographers would never think that that's even a fear that photographers would have. Yeah, like it's, you know, the... F- Anytime and, I talk, and as you described it, it's it's a two way thing. It's it's the fear that you'll not like it, and then I don't like it because you don't like it. Yeah, Jeez, yeah. it's complex, you know. It's hugely complex. And yeah, for years I wouldn't take photographs of people because every wow. time I did, they said I hate myself. I don't like my photograph. That's an awful picture of yeah. me. Yeah, which is which for you, you know, is kind of like somebody you know going out there and kind of saying, "Well, I don't like you." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is uh, insane. It was, and it, yeah was an awful uh, thing on me because of the fact that it was just kind of feeding into those negative things that I had grown through school like yeah. all the way through school and like I don't like you because I just don't like you yeah a yeah. lot of it was I don't like you because you don't like yourself yes yeah yeah absolutely sorry there's a there's the slowest closing door closing in the background <laughs> yeah um, the, the the other side of on the ba- on the bad boss side of things you know from a photography point of view I, you know we, we've chatted before and you've been a, a you know medic you, you know you've worked in in Dublin Fire Brigade uh, and you've worked in bars and things like this you know there's bad bosses everywhere but but from a photography point of view what makes a bad boss because there might be some people who are interested in photography wondering you know does a photographer even have a boss or what way does that work yeah well a lot some photographers work for studios and they work the industry can be a bad boss itself you know in itself mm. Should look at me I'm my own boss but there are times where I'm a horrible boss to myself you right. know because there's a lot of things that I need to do or things that I should be growing and I should be inspiring myself with but I'm not because I get caught up in the wrong things there's the industry itself though is very broad um you know you say you're a photographer it doesn't really mean much um i had a great conversation with a photographer named frank dorhoff he's probably considered the top lighting guy in the whole world um huge big dutch guy and we had this conversation he said you give a man a violin he owns a violin you give a man a camera he's a photographer Mm. (laughs) <laughs> but what sort of photographer are you? Do you do still life? Do you take photographs of apples? Do you take photographs of sports? Like it's a completely yeah. different science. Do you take photographs of pets? Do you take photographs of families? Do you take photographs of people? Do you shoot headshots? Like what is it that you take photographs of? Because it's such a wide and varied industry. Yeah. You could be taking photographs, street photography or signs on the street for stock photography, for eye stock photo in that instance you don't really have a boss you don't even have a client the clients are the people who are going to buy it for a euro a go on iStock photo you never have to look at them yeah um whereas i spend anywhere between an hour and three hours in the studio with individual people standing looking face to face with them into their eyes um which is a whole different process so I think the bad bosses that I'd have had were the industry, the fashion industry, or that sort of superficial version of what a photographer is supposed to be. And for other people, that might be a really good boss. 
you know yeah it might be something that they associate with it might be something that suits their personality type maybe they're in that poser position where they're still trying to please yeah they're doing it because it's a cool industry to be in because they're still young because they need validation for the headspace that they're in mm. I think I just got too old for it and I just stopped caring yeah um, but that was a bad boss for me even as clients as well a lot of clients that I haven't had in that space I'd consider them in the bad boss headspace as well because mm. or that kind of area because um, they didn't want to help themselves you know yeah. I was doing everything and they didn't want to do anything to help themselves they just wanted to be spoon fed mm. and sure you can't be doing that either because no. if how many clients you might have 10, 15, 20 clients that are returning clients on the go and you can't be spoon feeding one fella because yeah, he's lazy you know or because he doesn't want to do the stuff that he's supposed to be doing or because he's too busy in his own head with mm. whatever else is going on or they've been, become affected by that whole industry um, mm. which is for me it's toxic so you talk to good boss side of things there's there's mentoring involved there's there's you know growing the person you know that's that that's what you talk about the good boss the bad boss side of thing is 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 somebody who's kind of in it for what they can get um they they want you to you know do everything for them and and you talked about you can be a bad boss yourself when you're when you're self-employed you're working for yourself you know you can be a bad boss to yourself yeah you can lose focus and yeah. what you're supposed to be doing you know because you have to stay true to the why yeah exactly it's always the why it needs to be the why and you can't get lost in the what because that's completely different you mm. know it's um because you lose focus on the how and you lose everything mm. is just kind of disappears it's this thing of foveal vision versus peripheral mm. vision you know when you have yeah. money problems or there's something wrong like you're only focused on that one thing that's wrong and if you're in a business for yourself and you're trying to organize your diary, which I'm terrible at. That's why we have, like, I have assistants and I have stuff like that. But, you know, when you're focused on that one thing, that one problem, you're not focused on all the other things that need to be addressed. Mm. You're not focused on your clients. You're not focused on the things that are important in the business. And a lot of businesses are like that at the moment, like, because they're focused on what shareholders are saying and they're focused on the yeah. money the money aspect of things I know supermarket like Marks and Spencers are in huge trouble at the moment it's no secret they're letting a lot of staff go and because they're interested in what the shareholders say they've no mm. interest in the customers mm. but sure without customers what are you what are you because they're the ones that bring the money in and if you don't have enough staff on the floor to take care of the customers and you don't have or to stock the shelves to give the customers what they want you know there's just a backlog and it ends up just being a toxic environment where if you do I only posted on LinkedIn there a while back about Dunn Stores I was in Dunn Stores in the Pavilion Shopping Centre on a Wednesday and there were 16 people behind the tills yeah there was staff everywhere the shop was buzzing and then about two weeks later um, I have a a connection on LinkedIn a guy I've met a few times Healy Hines who's big in retail and he was posting the latest kind of polls stats of, of, the stats yeah. of, of, of Irish supermarkets and Dunn stores are on top again surprise surprise how are they on top how are they turning over more money than everybody else even though they have more staff than everybody else on the floor because yeah. staff are the biggest expense hmm. so if staff are the biz- biggest expense and Marks and Spencers aren't even in the top five even though they're letting a lot of their staff go 
they're also letting customers go but dunn stores have gone the opposite direction and they're bringing in so that's a good boss bad boss experience mm. like right there that's exactly what that is because they're interested in the customers your customers are your boss mm. if you focus on it being a win-win situation if you look at it it's all about deal making i suppose and deal making is something i constantly say i don't know anything about but simon haig at a talk that i was at he was saying you know you have a win-win situation you have a win-lose situation or a lose-lose situation and how you make a decision around those is important because if you make a win-win situation like everybody it's due for the good of the village everybody's going to benefit and once you do that you know it just makes life a whole lot easier for everybody um but there's so much of that out there that people have lost sight because of money troubles or because they're focused on what a shareholder is saying or short-termism yeah exactly Mm. and it's not sustainable we have the very real ability to make every single person who comes to us for business want to refer us on to somebody else Mm. or want to come back you know, re- repeat business is huge. 96.7% of everything that I do is, re- um, and I only know that mm. because my friend is an accountant and he went through my uh, it's referral, my referrals and stuff yeah. like that um, because I'm not a, statics, um, a statistics <laughs> person, definitely not. But he said like 96.7% of all of my business is repeat business or it's based on referrals. So it's based on what I do rather than me going out chasing business. The rest of it is people who Google yeah, headshots yeah. in Dublin and they end up coming into the studio and being told right I'm going to teach you some science here Yeah, um, I'm going to teach it about you um, so so it's the, the, a good a good boss focuses on the customer basically yeah. What what's the customer need what's the customer want yeah exactly it's it's not only just the customer if you have staff um, staff look after the customer yeah like it's I have it's actually a very short but interesting story um, a friend of mine runs the Anglers Rest in Chapel is it Ollie this is just I hadn't even thought of this this has just come into my head um, and he started off working in a hotel in Enfield um, a kitchen porter mm. and when you were on split shifts in any pub or any hospitality interest in, in industry in Ireland you didn't go home on your split shift you worked from probably 7 or 10 o'clock in the morning until lunchtime you're supposed to go home for a few hours and then come back in to finish off the day until yeah. the pub closes or the hotel closes. And at lunchtime, himself and the owner of the hotel walked up to the nearest bar as you did when you were on split shifts and had a couple of points. But the guy behind the bar, in the two hours they were in there, he counted the till four times. And Ollie's boss said to him, do you see you, Oliver Flynn, you look after your customers and the tills will look after themselves. Never <laughs> realised for one second that that one statement was going to dictate Ollie's future he was going to dictate how he did things and then mine because Ollie told me that story um, he went he kind of saved up some money he leased a shop in Mount Mary and he turned it into a supermarket because he looked after his customers and he looked after mm. his staff um, on Christmas day he'd opened a shop for two hours and he paid his staff a hundred it was a hundred pounds at the time to open the doors for two hours mm. because people always forget bread rashers batteries yeah. for the kids toys something he was never going to turn that money over on that day but it was about looking after the customers it was about looking after his staff and making sure that everybody was fair everybody was looked after um he sold that shop he moved to kinsale he bought the bullman pub in kinsale 
Uh, first year he didn't win anything second year he won the best pub in Munster and the third fourth and fifth years he had it he won the black and white pub of the year in Ireland so the best pub mm. in Ireland because he looked after his customers he looked after the village so everybody benefited look he did exactly what his boss in that bar yeah look after the customer told the till look you after look after itself. your customers the tills will look after themselves he creates a healthy environment for his staff the staff create a healthy environment and a positive environment for the customers the customers then feed that back yeah. they feed it into the tills and they feed it into the staff and everybody's happy mm, brilliant it's this has been uh, a wide-ranging conversation but very educational i have to see there's a, a negative residual self-image we've talked about that the gap of self-acceptance the uh, interiority that's a nice one i'm yeah. going to steal that if that's okay that's okay um and you know all about the good bosses uh you know that I like that idea of you know look after the customer and the tills will look after themselves and, and that starts with the staff look after the staff so thank you very much for giving us this time it's been a brilliant conversation I hope our, our listeners find it uh, as fascinating as I did yeah well so do I and thanks to Jerry and to uh, Danny here and to Betsy as well for yeah. hosting us brilliant place coffees and stuff like that <laughs> and the donuts <laughs> that was a secret <laughs> thanks very much John pleasure Thanks to John for that insight into self-image and so much more. He was very honest and open during our interview and is always generous with his time and knowledge. John is active on LinkedIn and organises LinkedIn local meetups, as well as being Director of Individual Development at Junior Chambers International Dublin branch. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Good Boss Bad Boss podcast. We've started charting on iTunes and Spotify now, which is amazing news. And would you believe it, we've reached number seven, in Brazil. Hello to all our Brazilian listeners. I've met a few Brazilian people in my life and each of them were a delight. Special mention to Doug and Bianca. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate that there are a multitude of podcasts out there and when you listen to us, you're giving us a gift. Please keep sharing the content with all your friends and colleagues. As usual, if you have a guest you'd like to hear from or if you have any comment on the show, please drop me a mail at stephen at stephennaughton.com. You can find more from me at www.stephennaughton.com and I'll be back next month with another Good Boss, Bad Boss guest. Until then, goodbye.